Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Family Medicine, where each week, Dr. Frank Domino, along with his guests, translates today's late-breaking clinical research and news into tomorrow's practice. Now, broadcasting from the University of Massachusetts Medical School in Worcester, Mass., your host, Dr. Frank Domino, professor in the Department of Family Medicine and Community Health, and editor-in-chief of the 5-Minute Clinical Consult series. Your 69-year-old patient with COPD comes in for a post-hospitalization visit. He had a COPD exacerbation and was diagnosed with pneumonia and was treated with heavy antibiotics. When you start discussing his symptoms today, he states overall he's feeling much better from his respiratory standpoint, but he's got a horrible case of diarrhea and you start to worry about C. difficile. Joining me on today's program is Robert Baldor, professor and senior vice chair in the Department of Family Medicine and Community Health at the University of Massachusetts Medical School. Welcome to the show, Bob. Thanks, Frank. Glad to be back. So um, help me figure out what to do with this patient. He's in. He's just been given intravenous antibiotics. You have limited information from the hospital, and he's having profuse, watery diarrhea. Well, um, yeah, you, you definitely need to be thinking about uh, C. difficile uh, colitis as a condition for him. He's clearly at risk uh, for this and should probably be, uh, should be tested and, 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 and treated. And uh, actually, the reason I wanted to talk about this today is because recently in the news, there's been a lot about um, what we call uh, FMT, which is a fecal microbial transplant and how best to do that. So I think there's been a lot of interest in, uh, in, in that technology. But let's, let's back up a little bit to just talk about C. diff first. Does that make sense? Absolutely. So um, you present a patient who is at high risk for C. diff, and that's really the one you want to be testing on. And, and the trouble with the testing is, is that um, you're testing for the bacteria, the, the Clostridial difficile bacteria, but just because the bacteria is there doesn't mean that you have the illness. You're looking for the toxin, and not all C. diff uh, are, are toxigenic. So, um, so you really want a clinical scenario. We have somebody who's having diarrhea, uh, really more than three loose stools in, in, in a day, with and has had a clinical uh, risk factors to be thinking about C. diff. So recent hospitalization, recent use of antibiotics as you present with this gentleman. So within the last six weeks is kind of what people talk about for recent. Uh, a previous C. diff infection within the last six months could be a recurrence. And also the elderly. The elderly are at higher risk as well, even if they don't necessarily have had a recent antibiotic or recent uh, hospitalization. So those are the folks. Okay, let's test those folks um, to see what's going on. So the gold standard had been to actually do a culture. I mean, culture things for a long time. Now the culture, of course, the problem with that is you can detect if it's C. diff, but you still don't know whether it's the toxigenic or not as, as part of that. And cultures take two or three days. Like most things in microbiology now, we're seeing a change from doing culturing to doing uh, DNA testing, and that's the uh, PCR polymerase uh, testing that's done, uh, looking, for the, uh, looking for the genes uh, specific for the C. diff. But like culture, it doesn't tell you. It'll tell you if C. diff is there, but it doesn't tell you whether it's a toxigenic uh, or, um, or not. So you have to really be looking, doing an assessment for the, uh, for the toxin. And um, so the, the toxin, it's an enzyme amino assay that you're doing for the, uh, for the toxin. And there's two toxins, toxin A and uh, B. The trouble with this is that the PCR testing or the uh, enzyme amino assay testing for the antigens or the genes for C. diff, highly sensitive, highly specific, right? But they don't tell you whether you get the toxin. The, the, the test for toxin has a high false negative rate with it. 
because those other tests, one test is one loose stool sample, liquid stool sample is sufficient for testing. And you get those results back in an hour, by the way, if your lab is set up to do that versus a culture. Um, the toxins, though, you have to have a sufficient amount of toxin in the stool sample in order for the assay to pick it up. So you can have a false negative. So if you're doing the toxin testing, you're probably going to maybe send two or three samples to be clear that you have it or not. So people talk about doing, uh, there's some algorithms out there for testing where you would uh, do the PCRA, uh, PCR testing to see if the organism is there and then do the toxin testing as well. Looking for both of those to be positive to say you've got, you, you, you have the, uh, the colitis. Um, I've been using the word colitis. This is known as pseudomembranous colitis. So the other thing to do is a KUB, and the radiologist will look for very classic findings to say, hey, this is consistent with a pseudomembranous colitis. If you're seeing that on x-ray, most likely that's a C. diff infection as well, although it doesn't mean that it's not a C. diff infection if they don't see those classic findings on x-rays. Okay, so you have this high-risk patient. You test them, and one option is, is to get a stool test for toxin, possibly get a KUB. Any or all of those turn positive. So what should we think about initial treatment? And then let's talk a little bit about resistance. Yeah, so there's um, one other thing about talking about testing. <clears throat> because of the issues with um, the fact that the uh, antigen, that the bacteria will be there, there's no recommendations to, re to be testing while, while you're doing treatment to see if it goes away. Or for follow-up, doing a test for cure, don't do that follow the patient clinically to decide whether they're improved because those tests will remain positive uh, ongoing, so no recommendations for tests of cure. So treatment, so the standard for treatment right now is uh, pretty much is vancomycin. And uh, so you're giving vancomycin 125 milligrams four times a day for 10 days, that's for uh, first uh, recurrence of this, and that really uh, is what we're using. Um, there's another drug out there that's also a newer macrolide it's a uh, phadoxmycin, and that's only used twice a day, it's 200 milligrams twice a day. The, um, uh, it, it's about 10 times the cost of the vancomycin, so that's something to be aware of. Something more expensive than oral vancomycin, amazing. What about metronidazole? Are we not using that anymore? Yeah, it turns out there are higher failure rates for the metronidazole. Uh, with it. Metronidazole, though, if you couldn't get the vanco or the phadoxmycin, you would use the metronidazole. That is the, uh, also there for, for first-line uh, first treatment. All right, so let's move on to fecal transplantation. What's going on? There. So, so just quickly, the, the trouble with this illness is it tends to recur, all right? So if you have a first recurrence, you do another course of vancomycin. If you had a second recurrence, then you do a pulse course of vancomycin, where you're doing a tapering course of vancomycin over really a two-month period. And then if they fail that, that's when we're talking about doing the FMT, the, the uh, fecal uh, microbial uh, uh, transplant. And um, because, so that's the group we're talking about. The trouble with this is that it's not an FDA, uh, it's an FDA sort of approved procedure, but you or I can't just order it for the patient. You have to, um, where do you get this? Basically, you get healthy donors and you collect feces from them. A lot of uh, testing is done to ensure that the, that the, the feces is, um, um, uh, and you're not going to transmit other illnesses uh, to the patient. And by the way, you would certainly think, hmm, if I'm going to get a fecal transplant, why don't I get it from a family member? That's, you don't want to do that because it, if you're living in the same household, there's likelihood that there's, they, they may be a C. diff uh, carrier. So anyway, so what this has been done is a, a slurry is made of um, a stool sample from a healthy donor. Uh, and it has uh, traditionally been given via colonoscopy. And uh, it's about a, 
uh, almost a half a pound of uh, slurry is injected into the colon, but it goes all the way up into the terminal ileum because the terminal ileum can have uh, the, the C. diff as well. So that's why you need a colonoscopy to do this. And it's, so that's injected throughout the colon, and the patient has to hang on to this for about six hours to keep it in there to do this. So people have been looking for other alternatives. They've done, done it via uh, G-tube. Um, and now recently saying, can you do this by encapsulating uh, the transplant and taking it orally? So uh, a couple of studies have been looking at this, and this was great. This is this recent, they actually did a randomized clinical trial looking at this, where they compared using, uh, taking 40 capsules uh, versus colonoscopy, and that randomized controlled trial showed that the success rate was as good with the oral route as using colonoscopy. Why is this all important? It's because right now we don't have any FDA approval for this. In order to get FDA approval, you have to show efficacy. We've shown efficacy, but you also have to show safety, and there's been concerns around safety. So basically, this is just another study out there that's showing safety and efficacy of using the oral route it's out there. Now, where do you get this? You or I can't prescribe it. There are various centers around um, uh, that, that are doing this. Uh, there's some commercially uh, prepared uh, preparations that, that, that people can, uh, can get. But for right now, because it's not really an FDA-approved product, it's not easily done. But I got to tell you, though, reading the literature on this and reading what's out there, if you have a patient with recurrent C. diff, find locally or regionally where they can get FMT because it really looks to me like it's uh, the way to go if you've exhausted your course of vancomycin. Uh, it certainly sounds like the future, Bob, uh, especially we're seeing so much C. difficile in the hospitals, hospital setting. We're going to see significantly more resistance in the outpatient setting. This is wonderful. It sounds relatively cost-effective, and once you get over the ick factor, it sounds like uh, another future uh, where we're, we're going to help solve a fairly serious problem with a very simple solution. Thanks so much for bringing this idea forward, Bob. And I, thanks for asking me. And I got to tell you, the ick factor, they looked at that as part of these studies, and apparently there's just as much ick factor with taking it orally as people having colonoscopies. So uh, they, they, <laughs> we got to get past that. But it looks like really, uh, you know, uh, th th this is moving forward, and I would like to see FDA approval in the next year or two, make it a little easier for other people to have access to the therapy. Great. Thanks again, Bob. Practice pointer, diagnosing C. difficile in the outpatient setting requires testing for toxin and, if negative, considering further workup in the right clinical circumstance, as false negatives are common. Join us next time when we discuss the influence of coffee drinking on a variety of health outcomes, including mortality, cancer, and heart disease risk. Thank you for listening to Frankly Speaking About Family Medicine, brought to you by PrimeMed. For more information about the article referenced in today's episode, look under the resources section of the episode landing page. Need help reaching your CME credit goal this year? If so, please browse the more than 300 free CME accredited activities now available on primed.com. Thank you again for listening.